Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome to the show tonight. I'm so glad you chose to join us. I think we're in for a delightful episode. The title of tonight's show is Chrysalis Crisis, and our guest tonight is Dr. Frank Pesciutti. We're going to bring him on in just a minute, but I just wanted to talk about the transformation of our human condition on an individual, on a personal level. And this, of course, this is a topic we touch on many, many, many times on the show, and we take we take a look at at that the notion of that from pretty much every flippin' perspective you can imagine we've covered on the show. But what I really like about tonight's episode is um, the the sub uh, the title of the show is. Uh, Frank's latest book, and the subtitle of of his book is How Life's Ordeals Can Lead to Personal and Spiritual Transformation. It's a curious thing when you talk about the transformation of a persona, of you, of me, of really anyone. There's there's the obvious stuff, the low-hanging fruit um, that we're conscious of, that we're aware of. And then there's a whole different realm of, of our subconscious, of, of the stuff that's flying below the radar that still influences us in our everyday lives, and yet it can't, um, it doesn't always seem obvious to us. I mean, I, I, it, Perhaps the classic statement of please uh, please list everything in your subconscious and be specific. If that was a question, you nobody would get it right because the very nature of our subconscious is that it is subconscious. So what I like about what we're going to talk about tonight is is kind of overcoming. Um, what's hidden, or or should I say, bring to light what's hidden about our own selves, the, the aspects of ourselves that our our conscious self, our ego self, might not be able to language or speak of. I mean, how do you how do you go working with something that is below your consciousness? And. Uh, I suggest to you that um, to ask such questions and then to engage in the endeavor of an unraveling yourself, to unravel yourself is a very healthy, very powerful, very liberating thing that you can do for yourself for the rest of your life. And how many people have had um, a wake-up call that seems like a, a train wreck or, or some kind of existential crisis or, or something we can't avoid? And once we 
recover from it and we start unraveling the 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 clues, um, we find that we've had a a destructive behavior, a subconscious tendency in our psyche that was leading us up to it, but yet it evaded our ability to detect it before the train actually wrapped. <laughs> um, enough said. Um, let's let's get to the show. I think we're going to have a wonderful conversation. Uh, again, the topic tonight is chrysalis crisis, which is the name of Dr. Frank Pasushti's latest book, and the sub. The subtitle is How Life's Ordeals Can Lead to Personal and Spiritual Transformation. Um, Frank is a licensed clinical psychologist and certified hypnotherapist in private practice in Char Charlottesville, Virginia. He is the founder and president of Associated Clinicians of Virginia which provides psychotherapy and organizational development services to individuals and businesses. Dr. Pasusti is the chairman of the Institute Review Board at the Monroe Institute. He collaborates on research in real related to near-death experiences, psychic phenomena, and the survival of consciousness at the Division of Perceptual Studies, which is a research unit of the Department of Psychiatry and Neurobehavioral Sciences at the University of Virginia School of Medicine. And if you want to call up his webpage while we have this conversation, uh, it's Frank and that is F-R-A-N-K-P-A-S-C-I-U-T-I dot com. Join me in welcoming Frank to the show. Welcome to the show, Frank. Thank you, Wes. Thank you for having me on. You know, Happy I want to, to say just right off the top, I really enjoyed your book because it um, – I think even just through the examples you gave in your book, you, um, you just the way you wrote it, you you brought insight to how we can bring on um, personal challenges, personal stigmas, if you will, um, just through the natural course of living our life. Um, what what brought you to write a book with a with a title like that well um for well for doing psychotherapy for 45 years at this point um i had noticed that you know most people come to therapy prompted by crisis there's usually something that has gone on in their life that's precipitated uh they're deciding to give a therapist a call and Generally, I mean, the crisis can be a similar crisis for some people, but it it it, um, it awakens them to certain areas of their development that may be uh, is uh, inhibiting their ability to heal, to integrate the experience. And so, it's actually like it's actually in the uh, in in the attempt to try to move through the experience, to heal from the experience, and also to integrate it 
uh, they may be challenged to grow in various areas. Um, and I identify in the book 10 key areas that I've seen. They're very broad where people tend to focus. It may not just be one. It may be a number of them at one time. But for instance, you know, let's say, say you know, any number of people can come in in the aftermath of, say, going through a divorce, very painful crisis in life for, some, for many. Uh, in order to get their bearings back, in order to kind of move through the crisis, you know, they may have to take a look at whether, you know, certain feelings need to be reconciled. There may be feelings of sadness or anger or fear. Um, and if, for instance, it, that's in the emotional area, uh, let's say they grew up in a home where, you know, anger wasn't okay or sadness, you know, wasn't okay, like guys shouldn't cry or People shouldn't get angry or don't show your fear. But in actuality, those feelings can all be around. Uh, so if they come in and they're trying to work out, you know, coming to terms with this experience in their life, it may very well be that my work with them may, may require that I help them get in touch with feelings that they're not used to registering or expressing. And so you might say that learning to, uh, to experience, register, and, you know, express those feelings in the appropriate way if that was required to go to navigate through the crisis in the aftermath of that, they've grown stronger. So after they move through the crisis, they have a greater range of, of, of feeling or they, they are more aware now of how they feel. Um, and so the reason I use the book, the book title Chrysalis crisis is because I came across a story, which is what I use in the preface of the book of a, of a little girl who watches this caterpillar uh, in her backyard, uh, set up a chrysalis cocoon and then go into the cocoon. And she waited patiently as it went through its metamorphosis process. And then she looked and watched as the butterfly starts breaking out of the cocoon and noticed how much it struggled to get out of the cocoon. And yet she kind of felt bad for the butterfly. So she tried to help it out, you know, so it's, so it's struggling to get out of the cocoon. And then of course, predictably, as we know, as adults, you touch the butterfly's rings and it, it falls to the ground and it dies. And so the story goes that she goes inside and tells her mom she's really sad. And her mom says, honey, you need to understand that that butterfly struggle not only helped it emancipate or get free of the cocoon, but it also strengthened its wings for flight. So it had dual purpose. So I thought, well, isn't that a nice metaphor for what we do? Like many times we have to struggle to free ourselves from the crisis that we're engaged in. But the very ways in which we need to learn about ourselves in these 10 key areas I identify, they actually can translate into a strength of ours that will help us through the rest of our flight through life. So I thought that was a nice working metaphor for the book. Yeah, well, well said. I like that. And I like how you relate to going through the struggle as uh, generating a gift, if you will, from that point forward. Once once it's harvested, I mean, immediately after the the trauma, we can feel raw and vulnerable. But but the the metamorphosis, if you will, of of the challenges of such struggle. Um, is a transformational part of of who we are as a human. You know the and what uh, uh, you talk about the ten key uh, general aspects that you that you approach this from in the book. What I really liked about the book is with each one of them. I mean, there's physical, social, emotional, moral, um, and several others. All ten of them, you you have such 
um, clear and and vivid examples, at least for me as a reader, as you share the stories, um, it, it you're showing the context of of the struggle before and after the um, metamorphosis, if you will, and I, and I found a lot of value to that. And you know, for example, just to take emotions. Um, oftentimes in our family of origin, there'll be a a, a reason that a particular emotion will, will carry a lot of stigma with it and will posture with it at an early age and perhaps invariably a decade or three later, it's cracking our life open unwillingly <laughs> because yeah. Yeah. of our inability to, to give it an opportunity to be felt. Um, how, do you, how do you see the... Uh, um, the posturing, if you will, of of I guess I could use a general term of our, of our pain or discomfort, um, things of our well, past that we, we have a negative connotation with. How does that posturing well, you know, lead us to eventually crash? Well, you know, if you um, if you have certain areas like these ten key areas, I, I just might want to mention them really quick. The foundational sure. areas of physicality. Physicality, intellect, physical growth, intellectual growth, emotional growth, social growth, moral growth. I see those as foundational. And you could have a, you have an intellectual IQ, you have an emotional IQ, social IQ, a moral IQ. They're all areas that some, to, to varying degrees, may get attention and development. Not all of us are, you know, coming out of childhood or, or have the opportunity to develop all those areas. The next three are in what I call more personal. They are development of our identity our capacity for intimacy, and by that I mean the ability to be able to reveal the self, to share more deeply with other people. And then existential growth, which is you know, more about finding meaning and purpose in life, having a sense of responsibility. Those are all considered the, the big questions, coming to terms with death, even if it's not at your doorstep, you know, just recognizing on some level many times people will go through midlife crises, and, and you can usually find existential issues that underlie it. And then the last two, they're more transpersonal, they're kind of beyond us in, in our normal way of being. And sometimes the, uh, the areas that get activated there are considered, you know, uh, super normal. So in intuitive, I have intuitive and spiritual. And in that area, I speak to mostly like functions of uh, maybe a psychic nature, people who are precognitive and they have uh, an experience, a dream, and it frightens them because it, you know, defies what they understand to be time and space and and then you have spiritual experience, which is direct contact with spirit. Somebody who has an NDE or has an out-of-body experience where they are aware, their, their awareness is outside their body, you know, and people have near-death experiences. And that's frightening for people if they have an out-of-body experience and they don't understand it. Or if they behold the spirit of a deceased loved one, you know, after a recent death or something, or, or they are uh, in touch with uh, somebody who's a, a channeler. Or So those are... While there are, there are explanations and plenty of evidence for these, often are not believed, and so you grow up in a, in a society that says that's a bunch of hogwash or woo-woo stuff, and you have the actual experience, you start thinking you're losing your mind. And so we call those intuitive and spiritual experiences uh, spiritual emergencies. So it runs the whole gamut. And all of these, now for me, I spent the better part of my career working with those areas that are in the foundational or personal area. But because I'm affiliated with a couple of institutions that research 
some of these paranormal or what you might call spiritual intuitive experiences, I've had a sub-specialty of working with people who present spiritual emergencies. And, and generally, my reputation is that I'm not going to designate them immediately pathological. Now, some people are psychotic. Some people do have hallucinations, and some people are delusional. So I'm not saying everybody who has a, an anomalous experience, I'm going to just you know hook, line, and sink or buy it right out of the gate. But generally... Uh, there are enough, there's enough evidence that some people actually have valid experiences and they're looking for understanding. Uh, they're looking to be assured that they're not crazy. And so part of the book is, is an explanatory model that helps them integrate all 10 areas. And, and interestingly, sometimes they have to double back and say, okay, I might say to them, look, you need to expand your understanding. So let's go back to the intellectual growth area, do some reading of the research that's out there so you can help understand the stuff. Because some things people will present, you know, generally psychology and therapy often over the years would say, you know, somebody brings, presents, uh, presents us with an anomalous experience. We're either going to say it's abnormal, it's pathology, because it's not normal. And what I've tried to do is expand that to say some things are abnormal, some things are normal, and some things are more exceptional, but they're not abnormal, they're supernormal. And so I sort of spread that out. Um, but, you know, many times people, you know, will just come in and they'll have a conventional kind of crisis. Somebody they love may die or they may lose a job or they may have something happen to their bodies and they're suddenly, you know, in crisis or they have a trauma of some sort. And there might be a whole bunch of changes that go on. They may have to change their relationship to their physical world, whether it's their body, their finances, their housing. Uh, they, may have to, they may have to retool if they lost a job. They may have to change and they have to grow intellectually or come to terms with the loss emotionally, or new groups of people socially. So, so all these areas, many can get implicated in one crisis. And the suffering, unfortunately, just as there's always change in life, there's, you know, if you, like the Buddhists would say, there's always going to be some suffering in life. And the idea here is that the crisis, as the Chinese say, can also be an opportunity. That's the other word for crisis in Chinese. So uh, you, if you get, you know, you could say, okay, well, I don't really want to have a lot of crises in my life, but if I do have a crisis, it may very well be an opportunity for me to grow. So I like to keep it positive right, like, like that with folks. I mean, I, I don't jump right into saying as soon as somebody comes in, if, if they're grieving the loss of a loved one, I don't say, okay, what can we learn from this experience? I mean, I'm going to help them deal with the immediacy of, of accommodating or adjusting to the crisis, but usually there's a pivot point a little further down the road where they've kind of like gotten grounded. Maybe they've, they've like, uh, they've, they've integrated to them for the most part that this crisis has happened. But oftentimes people will look back and say, wow, if it wasn't for that experience, I would have never um, been awakened to maybe my need for more understanding of feelings or my, uh, my need to reach out and, and draw support from others and be more social. So you, you start finding that's where the transformation comes in. Yeah, I can very much relate to that. Um, um, my life changed a lot uh, 25 years ago, and and I'm I'm so grateful for that that metamorphosis. Um, you, you know, as you're talking, um, I was thinking about the uh, the the esoteric or etherical aspects of ourselves have our psychic ability or near-death experience. Some of the uh, the more um, exotic, sh should I say, experiences of consciousness, uh, with the internet and uh, 
the uh, free free distribution of information, um, would it would it make sense to bring some of that uh, esoteric uh, conceptual aspects of our psyche more into the um, earlier education system of our uh, academic arena, for example, in middle school. Like, I don't know how many guests I've had on the show that said when I was, you know, 10 years old, I could talk to angels and everybody thought I was crazy and, and I couldn't uh, I couldn't prove to them that th it was a real experience. And, and so these kids go through pretty much being outcasts and totally misunderstood and and the the crux of that is what you had mentioned that not everybody is having a a genuine near death experience some of them are psychotic and it and it's um surreal if you will i mean how do you how do you bring that information um more into the mainstream just so people have a contextual understanding of what might be happening to them when there hasn't been any real um, go-to place, if you will, that uh, you might learn those things? Well, that's a great question, and I think it, I think it has to do with our overall um, recognition of the validity of some of these experiences. Now, the, the problem with spirituality is that it's always been thought of Synonymously, synonymously with religion, but you can have a spiritual experience and not be religious. In other words, if you have an out-of-body, I mean, when I talk about spirit, I'm talking about consciousness in a much more subtle way where it's not physicality. It's like the awareness that I have that may be outside my body. So there's a form of, there's a sort of a foundational consciousness that underlies both mind and physicality. Uh, you know, the tantric notion of how mind works, almost like we're all, you know, there's a, there's a philosophical position called panentheism, which is that consciousness or God, if you want to call that God, uh, is all around us and within us. And we swim, we're swimming in a sea of consciousness. It's everything. And it gives rise to physicality as well as it gives rise to mental uh, awareness. So all is the foundation, Carl Jung and, and uh, uh, Wolfgang Pauli, who was a physicist, got together and once they, they were trying to kind of get get a handle on this at one time and called it the unus mundus. What is the one ground of of everything? Um, and so these days people are are starting to you know put a handle on it and and, and looking at it it as consciousness. And so my so my ten keys I consider to be capacities of consciousness in the human dimension. And so animals have some of these capacities, but they don't have the range that we have. For example, plants have consciousness, trees, the physical desk that you're sitting in front of has on some level a dimension of consciousness. If you break it down to the subatomic level, it's really vibrating electrons and protons, right? So everything has consciousness. Um, and so what we're saying is that in terms of becoming aware of the very subtle transpersonal uh, parts of consciousness that are available to us as humans, we start moving into the uh, the, um, the the aspects of spirit. Spirit, and and when you start recognizing that I have a spirit consciousness, 
Now it, it's not completely tied to my brain or my physical body, so then I'm able to start thinking about survival of consciousness. And when I start recognizing that there might be survival of my consciousness, I can start thinking of it as even possibly moving in and out of physicality. And I can start maybe understanding how reincarnation might be real and how that many lifetimes we continue to get these lessons and we continue to sharpen all these 10 keys. And as we, as we learn to, so you, you ask, what can you teach kids? Well, one is you can open them up to these concepts so that there, there's not the, because, um, because beliefs that are antagonistic or skeptical close you down from having the actual experiences. And so you need to say, okay, well, we're not going to try to get, you know, we don't want to get seem so ungrounded, but even teaching kids how to meditate to say, start paying attention to the inner, your inner world and the subtle experiences that come from within rather than be so particular, so disproportionately preoccupied by what's coming to you from without. And it's so easy to do that these days with all the stimulation through, you know, through the internet and everything else, but there's a lot that comes from within and you need to do both. Gather your from some of the information you're going to get. Some of the most creative information you might get is going to come from within you. And so you want to say, hey, put yourself, we're going to teach you how to get into conducive states of consciousness so that you resonate with those, those, you know, those states. And we even have brain states that we know that, for example, you know, when you're in a delta state, you're sleeping. When you're in a beta state, we're probably in a beta state right now. Uh, but when you're in a, an alpha state or a theta state, you're in an altered state that is very conducive to having creative insight or even psychic ability. You know, people like Thomas Edison knew that years ago. They would he would meditate when he'd be you know he's working on his thousandth light bulb before he got it to work every afternoon. He would sit in a chair with two steel balls, one in each hand, hanging over a bucket, and he'd try to put himself into that state of consciousness that was right on the edge of sleep, which is called the theta state. You're not fully asleep, but you're also you're kind of mind awake, body asleep, and you're so subtle. And he would wait for those impressions to come to him, creative solutions to 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 the inventions he was faced with or trying to uh, to discover so you can really be very proactive and you can teach that and also some of these concepts you know about you know spirit and it doesn't have to be like you know dr- you know having to become indoctrinated to a given party line because spirit is is a reality for no matter what religion you're in uh if, if it's a if it's a real dimension of what we experience so anyway i guess i can go on with that but i want to stop talking here for a bit no, I like it. Um, you know, um, I have to think that uh, I would suggest rather that uh, consciousness is in an eternal um, evolution of itself. And, you know, uh, science will tell us we use 5% of our brain or, and they'll say a very small part of our DNA is active and the rest is what they call, quote, junk unquote DNA, mm-hmm. if, mm-hmm. Um, if some of these uh, etherical aspects, these psychic aspects are, um, if to use the metaphor of a caterpillar and butterfly, if, if the status quo of humanity right now today is caterpillars and we have the next evolutionary jump in our consciousness, um, taking us into the realm of uh, perhaps all of us waking up these psychic um, tendencies within our own self, um, it would hint that um, uh, humanity as a culture is is going to evolve 
into uh, new realms of, of capabilities. And certainly, if you take a step back and look at uh, society as a whole, it does seem like we're going through a very deep upheaval, if you will, of, uh, of our own psyche. So what would you say as far as the, uh, the evolution of our consciousness, if you could look down the road 10, 20, 50 years, uh, what would be prominent traits that you would might expect to see in the human demeanor that are not commonplace today? Well, that's a great question. I, one of the nice things is <laughs> living to 68 years old, which is where I'm at now, I can remember when people were not interested as much in meditation and or things like yoga and or, you know, even totally open to the mind-body relationship, although that's been around for years and meditation has been around for, you know, for millennia. Uh, and yet now people are doing, and I don't care how they get attached to it, whether it's through a health club and it's driven by vanity or whether being vogue and do something that's really popular, when you do things like Tai Chi and yoga and you use your body as a way of becoming more mindful and awakening yourself to what's inner impressions to just get more in touch with your body or you start learning how to quiet your mind and learning how to meditate. I think what's going to happen is these very, see all these, these higher functions. And I, and I agree completely with what you said. They are all capacities. They're inherent for everybody. And so if you start having experiences, like a lot of times people will come and see me, they'll have gone to a retreat and they'll have spent maybe a weekend doing meditation. And, and in that process, just spending that much time in silence and or internal focus, whatever it is that needs to come into their awareness, it might be unresolved things that are very understandable from their life. Or sometimes people will have impressions that might even suggest a past life comes forward into their awareness. But it is almost a purgative process that begins where you try to, excuse me, clear whatever is getting in the way of these higher faculties and higher capacities uh, being able to manifest. So I do think that, I mean, just like think about what over, over a hundred years ago, we weren't even aware of that way. That, well, most people weren't even aware that we had an unconscious, even Freud and Jung and those people were saying, Hey, there might be a part of us that we're not aware of that actually influences, you know, whether our, you know, whether our, what our body does or, or the things we do. And so now all of a sudden everybody talks about the subconscious and the unconscious and it's like, you know, so that's great. We're starting to become humble to the capacity we have as humans to not always be aware of everything we do. And so we work at trying to be more conscious. So I think down the road you might find people uh, will start recognizing and experiencing the value of turning within and starting to say, hey, when I, when I tap into these inner parts of myself, I start finding myself, one, becoming more calm and centered more mindful and aware in the moment um, of what's happening to me rather than being like, rather than the tail wagging the dog of our lives, we become more aware of what's going on in the moment. And that could be helpful. And also people, I think when you start meditating and if you're onto, you know, trying to create something or write something or, you know, develop something when you're in those still moments, you will, you create a conducive state of mind that new thought can come in. And when people start getting reinforced by that, they're going to want to take their time like Edison did, and, you know, a lot of people know that, hey, you can toil, 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 and then you need to be still and allow the uh, emergence of the next creative insight. And people are using those techniques now. I think it will become more common down the road, especially if you grow into it. And some of the, you know, they, you know, if there's skepticism around some of these higher functions like psychic capacities 
and, and direct contact with spirit and, and the reality of a spirit dimension of consciousness as that is less more demystified and you know Hollywood takes these things and make them all scary but they don't have to be scary uh, they can just be hey you know what you know people have awareness of, of uh, deceased beings and it doesn't mean they're all trying to like you know kill them or something it may be loving beings it may be guidance from 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 people and you know you ask for guidance you'll get the guidance and so I, I would like to see you know let's maybe we spin back towards some of the concepts that religion brought before us but but people threw the baby out with the bathwater and sort of say i didn't want to have to like be a card carrying catholic or you know a, a, a rigid uh, you know like buddhist or something but there was something to that way in which people were having spirit brought into their awareness and we can kind of maybe embrace it again in a way where we feel it's more just part of it it's part of being a human so those were, I would hope for that down the road. And, and I think that even with my book, I try to talk about, you know, how these experiences can be understood without having to sort of, I don't have any particular, you know, I, as a matter of fact, I try to draw, when I do use any kind of spiritual reference, I don't have one in particular. Like I might cite Jesus, I might cite Buddha, I might cite some, anybody else or Hindu spiritual uh, leaders or things because people have addressed these things. But what happens is when, you know, religions get built around them and then all of a sudden we're competing whose religion is better than the others or whose daddy's better than the other person's daddy kind of thing. It's, it, gets, it gets lost in the translation, I think. Well, yeah, I agree. And, I mean, I've been scratching my head about this human consciousness thing for quite a while. And, and um we have we have fundamental uh um, what am I saying if we look at the mythology if we look at the the history of our of our human culture, we suck we really genuinely suck at ending war ending suffering i mean um today I saw on on the media um tent cities in San Francisco and Los Angeles, people living on the street in, in just destitution, really uh, in deep, deep despair. And and we're spending billions and trillions of dollars learning new ways to vaporize the human persona. Our, the All the archetypes of our past have not um, brought us um, anywhere near close enough to to peace on earth, actually more specifically peace or a human persona. I think peace exists in vast, expansive areas on earth. But what I'm getting at here is um, as our consciousness evolves and we bring in these new attributes, we've got these uh, old school problems of human suffering on the planet and our academic system, our religions, everything we pump into our psyche, we've come up short. We've we've really sucked at solving these problems in a in a absolute way. So you you've been working with the the human persona over decades. When you see. Um, what kind of uh, transformation do, would you would you suggest would happen that that would give us better traction in solving some of these fundamental problems of our human demeanor? 
Well, I, I totally agree that the, the change – well, I opened the book with a quote on a separate page that was made by Mahatma Gandhi, and he says, if you want to change the world, start with yourself. So we need to change ourselves. That doesn't mean we just become self-centered and don't care about everybody else. But if I, if I learn to, say, eradicate uh, the, the darker shadow side of myself, be willing to look at it and say, oh, you know, there's this greedy part of me that I need to get in touch with or this ego part of me that wants to be better than other people and I don't care about other people. Or if there's any – a lot of times we don't want to look at our, you know, what they call the shadow side. We don't want to shine a light. We want to just – you know, consider ourselves, and I'm not suggesting we're all bad, but everybody has, you know, the lower self and the higher self. But if you, you start looking at and saying when we also, we have the capacity to be saints or sinners, right? What you need is for right. people to say, you know, start responding and starting to try to act, uh, activate or be more, um, bring forward more that higher self, those higher self aspects. And, you know, and, you know, that's cultivating conscience, and developing a higher levels of morality. So you can look at one of those keys I have, uh, which is mortal growth. And you start getting into, you know, okay, so, you know, where, where are we uh, lacking in moral development uh, in that we can be, that can be addressed for others and advancing ourselves and, and not caring about them. So there can be a, an awakening that, you know, as an evolution, I do think that we are evolving, but there's always going to be people who are functioning all along the continuum. Uh, and so, unfortunately, sometimes uh, there are there are those who are functioning at a very low end who gain power, and then before you know it, it feels like, you know, everybody's, you know, functioning at that level. But, it, you know, it's across the board. But clearly, the more the more awakened you are, the more you see suffering, the more you develop compassion, the more you become active and want to, you know, and want your spirituality to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. So, but I do think it starts with ourselves to say, okay, do I have the courage to sit down with myself and ask, where am I with regards to what I, how I contribute to the, to the solution or, or contribute to the problem? So I do think, and I think it can be, like when I talk about these 10 keys, I think I talk about them in very conventional ways. But then I say at one point in the book, I transition and say, let's look at the keys at a higher octave. Like how can learning how to master physicality awaken you to spirituality? It may very well be that there's less focus on physicality at that point. Like I've gained a certain level of mastery of the physical dimension so that it doesn't continue to preoccupy me. I'm not always thinking about money, 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 or my, or my looks or my body or my house or my car, but I get that in a good place and I'm, I'm okay with it. And I kind of, I can quiet that area or I, I, or my intellect now starts serving my spiritual development and less about, you know, how am I going to make a buck? Let me learn new ways of, you know, like er, er, making more money or my emotions become quieter because I'm aware of them. I, I diffuse them as situations arise so that they're not always perturbating on some unconscious level and causing me angst and developing compulsive behaviors and doing drugs or alcohol to sort of try to anesthetize them. And socially I'm open and growth and I, maybe I move into meditation groups or I start learning how to become an activist and I, and I become more engaged socially with trying to help people and do things like that. And morally, I just mentioned that. So it not only it's not just about being good or be, because if I'm not good, I'm going to get caught. It's start, I start cultivating a sense of whether people know it or not, I, I aspire to, to, uh, to be a good person because it's inherently, it inherently expresses the best I can be. 
whether anybody even knows about it or not. And so, and all these other keys can work in the same way. You know, I start identifying with, you know, myself as being more than just a, a man, an Italian, an American, you know, and, and more uh, one of the community of humanity. And my, my identity expands and my intimacy and sharing myself on levels with people so that we can all let ourselves be seen and, 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 and connect at the most basic connected levels. So these are ways all of us can use these keys to evolve and develop ourselves. And I think as we do, it gets directed more outside of us. You know, you become less selfish. You start thinking more of others. You start saying, hey, I'm good. I don't need any more. You know, I, I've got, uh, I'm blessed or I have what I need and I'm not going to kind of sort of take it at the expense of others. So I, I, there's a lot of ways in which you can learn. And, and, you know, and oftentimes, as I was saying in the book, uh, we awaken to these various areas. Sometimes our own crises put us in touch with, you know, certain areas of these, certain of these keys, which need further development. And it's okay. It's all, it's, we're all here to learn, right? I mean, that's how I see it. Right. I like that. Well, let's, let's uh, bring the conversation squarely on the book itself. Now, who did you write this book for? Well, I, I wrote it for the general population. I, I kind of saw it as a sort of a psycho-spiritual self-help book. It's not meant for academics, although I think that people who are professionals can read it and get a lot out of it, too. I wrote it for the layman. I, I wrote it in language that I, it's very conversant. It would be, I, I, I wrote the book as if I were sitting in my office talking to someone who came to see me. So I'm not filling up with a bunch of psychobabble. I'm trying to like distill these concepts into a form that is much more communicable. I don't, I don't want to try to dazzle people with big words. I'd rather take words or concepts that sometimes are complex, but simplify them. Not because my audience is simple, but because, if you, because on some level, if I can't distill it down to some simple words, then I don't have a handle on it. So I wrote it for, I wrote it for people who are in search to grow, people who want to say, I want to start looking at myself in all about in light of all these many keys and see where and which ways I can grow and and maybe not even wait for a crisis because you don't need to have a crisis to grow. Crisis, you know, alerts you to what areas are lacking uh, if you're trying to get through a crisis. But you know, you can decide that you want to take on personal growth. And I think each of these chapters, if you say, "Hey, I want to develop myself more socially," I feel like I have some anxiety about that, or I think I need to come out more. Uh, in terms of engaging other people, you can go just to that chapter and get a lot out of that. So it's for anybody, I guess, anybody who's interested in growing and, and wants to try to start helping themselves, and, and you can get a lot done on your own. But if someday you want to reach out and, you know, work with a professional, that's fine too. It doesn't have to be you got to wait for a crisis to, uh, to prompt you to do so. Well, um, I – I agree with you. I think um, the language you use in the book is very clean and very um, elegant in in its simplicity and the examples that you share in the book. Um, you know, even even if you uh, so, some of these chapters share some pretty deep personal struggles. Even if you don't have the issue yourself, by reading this book, I can see it helping you have compassion for people in your life that 
are going through some of these struggles because the context in which you share these from, you, you lay out in just a very clean and graceful way how how some of these stigmas have come into to affect in these people's lives, and and it's not like uh, a personal choice, if you will. It's it's more of an accumulated effect. Um, it, it's not like a single moment galvanized them, but although that can happen, it. I just I felt it was uh, very well um, uh, language as far as. Um, helping you understand how how these people um, came to the end of the rope, if you will, and and anything if if you're on your way to the end of the rope, if you're on the way to uh, uh, a crisis, the sooner you can find out. I mean, um, to take the pain out of 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 the train wreck metaphorically is is a very valuable gift. So. Um, What do you hope people will gain, I mean, from reading this book? Well, I think one of the points that you made, which is an excellent point, is understand the plight of others and themselves. And, and you know, like one of the cornerstones of most psychotherapists, I believe, is, is seeking to understand. Uh, and understanding can lead away from judgment and maybe open up your heart to compassion. Because, you know, people are not inherently evil. I think we are we have the capacity to be good folks, but a lot of times it's like if you kick a dog enough when it's a puppy, it learns how to bite. Is it inherently a bad animal? Well, at some point, maybe it gets you know, to the point where you need to protect society from it. If it, if, But, but inherently, uh, I think there can still be compassion even for people who, who, who do us harm and injury. Uh, and so I think that you know, either it, and it also can liberate you. I mean, sometimes people will say, "I feel really bad about myself because I did these things," and I'll say, "Well, can you understand? Can we try to like understand what may have led you to act in a way that felt it was, you know, it was not optimal?" Uh, and once you get understanding, of course, you're awakened to maybe courses of action you took and were led to do unconsciously. I mean, there's no, you know, they say like, what is it? Ignorance is no excuse for the law. So, you know, so I'm not suggesting that people are not, uh, are not going to suffer consequences for their behavior, but even when those behaviors require, let's say, being in prison or things where you need to protect society, you want to say, uh, if they're open to learning and saying, why do you do these things and you can learn or have compassion for others. This is not a naive philosophy. I'm, I'm also all about, uh, being aware that there's not there's people out there who don't want to learn about their behaviors and don't want to understand themselves and will continue to repeat you know behaviors that cause harm to others, uh, but most of us are for anyone who wants to learn about them. So there's a great sense of freedom that, and liberation that comes from self-understanding, um, and so I would say anybody who wants to uh, there's no there's a concept in the book I use called spiritual bypassing. And uh, there's people who say, I want to be a spiritual person. And, you know, they want to just jump right into all those aspects of, you know, like let's meditate and do yoga and, and let me read a lot of spiritual books and, and all that. And then you say, but have you really worked on those other dimensions of yourself, the ones that I would say are the, the foundational keys? Have you, do you have mastery over your physical world? 
Are you are, are you aware of your feelings? So these are all things that will in, 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 that will help you develop your spiritual path. But you can't skip around them. So um, so so it's it's all about it's about learning to gain mastery across the board in all these key excuse me key areas. So those anybody who like wants that. to develop themselves, yeah. Well, and and the the ten uh, elements that you talk about. I mean, um, when I observe society, I've always been fascinated by watching humans and and trying to understand why they choose what they what they choose. Um, people can go through uh, uh, difficult times. Uh, I can say it for myself, like the loss of a loved one, or it uh, doesn't per se matter the, the what the event was but when you when you come out of of the sorrow when you come out of the pain perhaps um some people will just get to the point of breaking even and and certainly uh humanity demonstrates many many um, people's lives that are very difficult, very challenging on so many mm-hmm. uh, levels. And so when people uh, come out of the pain and they get to just like a break-even place where, okay, I can handle life right now, and they're not really uh, have much opportunity for laughter or happiness or creativity, I mean, they're they're in this endurance mode, if you will. What I really mm-hmm. like about your book is is those ten elements um, are a, a great review when you look at your own life, when you look at your own persona, because we can get in such a habitual pattern of get up in the morning, go to work, come home. And, and and drop into uh, an, an ingrained ritual, if you will, and not take our healing much farther. And, and your book brings such a, a, a classic look at these ten elements, which really help you balance the, the whole persona, the whole aspect of yourself. If you haven't laughed in the last month, well, there might be something to look at in your own persona. Um, you know, I think you've I done agree a with that. really I, I, good job at doing that. Well, I thank you for that. And you know what? It's kind of sad because I think when you say, for example, if somebody went through a very difficult time and maybe they got their footing back under them, but they basically it came at the expense of shutting down their or shutting down their emotional life. I mean, it, that's kind of like an extreme form. That's what you know. That's what it that constitutes a depression. So you want to say, look, it, right. it may be difficult to feel the pain. It may be difficult to feel those feelings, but you want to keep your heart open. So if you don't, I mean, it, it all runs through the same plumbing system, if you will. You know, your sadness, your fear, your anger, your joy, your relation, your passion. Uh, they all so if you shut down because you're saying I just can't stand the pain I can't stand you know the I, I'm afraid I'll cry and never stop or I'll get angry and I'll start you know chopping heads off or or I'll just tremble in fear and never be able to get out of bed I mean there, there's an end to it you have to trust that you know you the only way out is in and through and you will move through and right. if you're and it's very natural to feel like you'll lose control of your feelings and that's why it helps 
you know, to work with somebody who will support you to move through it because there's an element of having to wring out or having to diffuse the feelings but keeping the emotional channels open. And so you can either break down or break open from a crisis in, in that particular dimension. And, and you know, and so, um, you know, you, you want to, it's sad if you see people just shut down as a way of coping and thereafter stay shut down. It, it doesn't have to be right. that way. Right. Well, I, I like that. It's, uh, um, life's too good to, to waste it just getting by. I mean, it's, it, like I said at the beginning of the show, it always serves you to heal yourself over and over and over again to, to, um, because your persona is the vehicle of experience, and if you don't bring some joy and some dynamics back to it, um, well, life can seem pretty mundane and pointless. That's true. Very true. So you've written this book. Now um, tell us, imagine me as a listener, um, Tell us about your platform. Um, do you work with people one-on-one? Do you work in groups? Do you work online? Do you well, do international? I mean, give us a comprehensive well, I, understanding yeah. of how the audience Well, I'm actually, I'm actually pivoting a little bit, even though, I mean, I've been working largely with individuals. I used to work with couples, and I have done work with groups. But I'm, I'm more doing more lecturing. I'm trying to – I may start doing some online teaching um, I've been getting out speaking to more groups and I would like to do more writing and, you know, I'm going to expand my website and take pieces of, you know, the points that I make in the book and maybe amplify them a little bit in short, you know, uh, posts. So I, I see my role now as trying to get out the word in various forms uh, and, you know, trying to reach more people. I'd like to try to get people to really to, to see that, you know, there's a, the, these crises in their lives may open them to growth and, and so they don't despair and shut down. And so, yeah, so I'm trying to, I mean, I'm, I'm an old guy, so I have to learn to get more comfortable, you know, working with online stuff. I went out with somebody a few weeks ago and discussed doing some online teaching. I may start doing some workshops, something I used to do years ago uh, because this is a, it's a nice structure. The book provides a nice structure for doing a, a growth workshop where maybe working with small groups or large groups, so there's ways in which you know the the, um, the the model in the book can can um, can underlie doing a workshop with people and yeah so I'm still very invested in trying to help people understand and grow and heal. Alrighty, well how do uh, how do we get your book and what's your website? Well, my website is my name, basically Frank Pasciutti. Spell that last name right: p a s c i u t i. dot com. And if you go to that, you'll see, you know, the, the book, and you can get it on Amazon, and you know, it's probably in Barnes and Noble and various stores. Um, and also, you'll see, I have a post uh, there. I have a blog that I work talk a little bit about the way I approach therapy, and you know, uh, hopefully, I'm going to get more active uh, doing some posting now. And um, and so, and I have uh, my uh, webs. Uh, my email is uh, frankpashuti at gmail dot com, uh, and so. I welcome people asking me questions. I, that's how I learn. I want to hear what people are taking from the book. Well, I great. like that. You know, 
if you wanted to reach more people, I think webinars would be a good idea where you present material for 45 minutes and then take questions for the remaining time. That's just a thought off the top of my head. Hey, I want to thank you for right. being our guest tonight. I think you've written a fantastic book, and uh, you bring a lot to the table. You you really have a, a comprehensive perspective of our human demeanor and, and how we how, what we can do to to bring relief and um, expansion of our own human condition. Thank you for being our guest. Well, what, thank you, thank you to you for having me on your show and all your listeners for tuning in. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit about my model in the book. So I wish everybody well and and have a good evening. We've been talking with Frank Pasciutti and the. Title of tonight's show is Crystallis Crisis, the name of his latest book, How Life's Ordeals Can Lead to Personal and Spiritual Transformation. Um, I like what he said about the quote in the front of the book by Gandhi that says, If you want to change the world, change yourself. Um, start with yourself, rather. Um, I, I very much recommend his uh, book as just as a, a, a comprehensive look at, at our human condition from a personal point of view. Um, even if the chapter you're reading doesn't seem to resonate with your own personal life, it can help give you uh, insights as to what motivates other people to behave the way that they do. It's a, it's a curious thing to, to learn more and more about our human demeanor. For myself, I love, I love um, talking about human consciousness and specifically the transformation of our human consciousness or, or our human condition, if you will. And, I, you know, we've, we've done hundreds and hundreds of episodes on the show, and, and it's, it's quite clear that there's no condition that is totally captive of, of, our, of our human persona. In other words, we always have the ability to heal ourselves. Sometimes we're not willing to look at what will actually do the healing, and we can thus be, quote, stuck. But in the, in the deeper sense of, of what our options are, we're never, ever... Um, bound by our condition. We're never bound by our circumstances. We're never at a place where we don't have more possibilities, more opportunities to change who we are. And I suggest there's no limitation to what the next chapter, what these new chapters of our, our new human living is going to bring out. In other words, I think humanity is going through a pressure cooker of sorts. People are very frustrated with the dynamic that they see in the media. People are very frustrated with the incongruencies of our, of our collective consciousness. And that pressure will form a, a strong will, a strong desire in millions of people. I, I think we're going to see new archetypes that our past has not shown to us. 
as humanity understands the the mechanisms of what what is really possible with with this thing we call our human persona. <laughs> I, I'll go off on a tangent. I'll talk too long. Uh, we're pretty much out of time. I want to thank you, the listener. Um, we have new listeners in Australia and and Britain. Um, I love bringing episodes that help you improve your life. I'm Les Jensen. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for spending this time with me. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.